Hey everyone, welcome to the BizDev Podcast by Big Pixel. I'm David Baxter, the Chief Pixel here. I am joined, as always, with by Gary Voigt, our head Pixel Crafter, aka Creative Director. How you doing, Gary? Hey guys, what's up? So today I've been reading about uh, more of the Apple stuff because I can't get over it. Um, it affects epic. our clients in a lot of ways. So I keep reading about it, and I'm utterly fascinated by the the shop store stuff with Epic and all that. Uh, we talked about that some last week about how it matters to the to a biz owner who's got a mobile app because Apple controls 30% of your revenue, right? Now, this is a new law that is affecting them that it's so not yeah, South Korea, which doesn't sound like it should affect us in America, but it absolutely will in the future. But to last me, time it was the EU, right? So it's kind of just broadening over the globe. Correct. This is why, I mean, I'm not talking about App, Apple every single week, but right now they are hot and heavy because of all the lawsuits. Right. So we have the Epic lawsuit coming out soon, and this we'll get to that in a second. Um, and then we now have South Korea just passed a law that says, hey, you have to allow other payment providers. That's a huge deal. That means you, Apple, in theory, cannot... Uh, have a monopoly over payment, which would be a huge deal to anybody who has an iOS web app or not web app device and the apps on them. So if you're, you're a business and you have a store inside of there, you're wanting to sell a digital widget instead of losing 30%. Now in theory, you could have your own stripe and you wouldn't lose any money in theory. Of course, Apple's going to fight this to the hill, but South Korea did pass this law. And what's newsworthy is, you know, Epic is suing them because they want exactly this. And so they're suing. They're like, hey, we want, based on this new law, we want to put Fortnite back on the iOS store. Wow. And Apple said, absolutely not. So and here's the kicker. There's nothing in the law that says that Apple has to approve you at all. So they're going to find some other reason to keep Epic out of there until all of this washes out. But this will affect everyone in America within a year or so. There's a lot of laws in America that are trying to do the exact same thing. Will they pass? I have no idea. In this Congress, who who has any clue? But it is well, coming. With the reach and the the pull that Apple has. I mean, it seems like they're kind of losing court battles more globally about this than they are here in the U.S. And yeah, for sure. I don't know. Between this and then another weird thing to segue into an Apple thing is the right to repair thing that they they seem to be losing that chokehold as well. So yep. Yeah, they've been using, if you don't know, if you own an iOS device, if you want to repair it, um, it is very, very difficult. They make it so you have to have specialized screws and you have to have specialized hardware to even open the phones. And then outside of that, they're all glued you together. You can't even download remote. schematics unless you're yeah. an app. Which, that, I mean, I'll give you that. Schematics, <laughs> you know, you're trying to protect the, the integrity of the device. Yeah. But... But yeah, the, so the right to repair is this new thing. And actually, the the leader of that is John Deere. Have you heard? That's where all this came from. No, is the right no, to repair no. actually is about repairing your tractor on a farm. That's how all this started because John Deere has been doing the Apple thing forever, right? So if you want to repair your, your John Deere tractor, right? you're a farmer, you have a half a million dollar tractor or combine or whatever you want to call it, you can't repair it on your own. You have to hire a John Deere. Does this sound familiar? You have to hire a John Deere certified okay. person. And you can't open up your own big tractor. And of course, farmers are like, this is insane. And so that's where the right to repair actually started. But it's trickling down because Apple's in the, in the thick of it as well. All right. So it didn't mean a tangent there, but back to that. Oh, no, that's fine. 
the app. Um, so I think from a business perspective, though, this is stuff worth keeping an eye on, which is what we're doing, which is what I enjoy doing because I'm a nerd. But this will affect every single business owner with a, a, an app in the, in the Apple store. Is it going to be beneficial or is it going to be another hoop for them to jump through? Uh, both. Um, you will have to pay extra to have that store built, right? Because your right. developer has got to build it for Apple. Because I, I promise you, no matter what happens, Apple's still going to require that at least Apple is an option, right? You're not going to just kick Apple out. Uh, just like they do now, if you do app, if you do any social logins at all on your app, you have to include Apple's social login. It's like it's a requirement. So if you if you don't want to, you want to do email and password, fine. But as soon as you want to bring in an Apple or a Google button, you got to bring in an Apple button. So if you're um, signing into any of your apps through your Google ID or Facebook or anything, it's required that you're off, offering the Apple. Yeah, like you have iPad. to have the new Apple button. And okay. and that's not true for existing apps. I mean, if you have already one in the store, they're not going to kick you out. But, but if you're all adding one, yeah, okay. if you're adding one or something like that, they're going to get really cranky about that. So they're going to do the same thing for payment. Even if, let's say, best case scenario, we pass a law saying, hey, Apple, you have to do this. You as an app developer business will have to offer both. And so you're going to have to pay your developers to do both. Initially, yes, that will cost more. However, everyone who signs up with Stripe or PayPal or whatever you want to implement, whatever's allowed to be implemented, let me say that that way, whatever that is, you don't lose 30%. So that development is, is a slam dunk if you think you have enough users. Maybe initially the right way to do it is I'm a small business. I'm not earning a million dollars on Apple. So they're not charging me 30%. They're charging me 15%. So maybe that's say, Hey, now it's not worth doing a striper or whatever. Um, I won't do that for now. I'm going to just do Apple. Okay. That's, that's a fair thing. As you start to grow, you say, I'm starting to really feel this percentage. Let's build it now and spend the hours to develop it. I think that's the future. Um, and you still, I mean, there's just, just like anything else. If you have multiple logins, you have to maintain that code. They yeah. change, et cetera. Speaking about the payment thing, yeah. uh, using Stripe or PayPal as your payment thing and not building your own payment system is still a, a huge benefit for small businesses when they're putting any kind of Let me put it sales this way. online or no. You can't do it on your own. So, okay, okay I, let, me, let me back up on the payment thing. So I'm old. Um, and I've been doing this a really long time. I built apps before Stripe and those existed. And you had to do PCI compliance and all of that. And you still do to a certain degree. But back then, you had to do a lot more. And that was so horribly complicated and expensive that that's one of the reasons why startups really were smaller than they are now. You know, it wasn't, oh, I have an idea. I want to I'm going to go live with it and have payments and sell my widget. That 15 years ago, that was impossible almost. You had to do servers, you had to buy certificates and all this crazy stuff. And then Stripe came in, and I believe they were the first. I could be wrong on that, but they were one of the very early ones, if nothing else. They came in and totally revolutionized that and make it so that you don't have to deal with PCI compliance hardly at all anymore. They handle all the security. You never see a credit card, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of devs we find when we're talking to and we're taking over existing uh, stacks, this is a problem. They're not building them right. You still have to do certain things in a certain way to be PCI compliant. I guess I should define that. So PCI compliance is the, um, what's the right word for it? Visa and MasterCard have this process. And if you don't become it and you're, you're in violation of it, they reserve the right to remove your ability to take credit cards. So you can't talk about anything more serious than that for any online business. That kills your business. 
Okay. So if you're not PCI compliant, you're going to go out of business. And we still find people will take over a stack, will take over their their existing code base, and they're not PCI compliant at all. They're is that usually because their initial or existing app was probably built a while back, or is it just because those since it's changing so frequently, they have to like double check? It's and not even changing that frequently. I think I'm going to put on my old curmudgeon pants. I think it's because Stripe makes it so easy that the developers don't think they have to do anything. Do you think developers might not be, I guess, familiar with that? And if they are building apps for people, maybe under-experienced developers, uh, they just don't find the, the need to go and, and look into what's required there or, or how to best yeah, protect yeah, the client on that side? That's the easiest way to say it. I think nowadays they say, oh, I'm just going to do Stripe, and then that's fine. They but just connect Stripe do... to the app, and then they don't think about where that information is. Yeah, they just don't think about it. A, a good example of this, it sounds so stupid, and sound, I'm totally getting the weeds here, but if you put an, a, a name parameter on the text box that has your that takes the credit card on your on your site, if you put that in, it's just a name parameter or an ID parameter. If you put that in there, it's specifically name, not ID. That means your server is going to read it. It means your server has access to read it. So when it's passed over, that means your server, even if you're never saving it, but that means very briefly, your server saw a credit card number, which is a violation of PCI compliance. Most it's devs don't to be know that. totally hidden between yeah. any eyes. It's, it's supposed the to be so that Stripe at a high level is basically you put in the credit card number, you type in your 16 digits and all of that. That gets sent to Stripe directly. And that Stripe is not the only one. I mean, Braintree does it. There's a million of these. We're just using Stripe as the example because it's yeah, probably Stripe's the biggest. biggest. Um, so you've got you, – you send that over to them and then give you back a token. And that token is what you store in your database, which basically And that says, token is the encrypted information that cannot be seen on the server. Yeah, it's not even – it's not even the – it's not like it's your credit card number encrypted. It goes to Stripe. They transform it into their own unique thing, and then that's encrypted. So it's like double blind almost. Yeah. So it's like so, the secret key to the secret lock. Correct. And if you don't do that, and so if you do that right, that means your server literally never sees the credit card. Ever, and ever, that's ever. compliant. And that's compliant. If you do it wrong, even if you're not saving it to your database, which you should never do, and we do find that occasionally, but that's usually really old code. Um, but if you, if you, even if you're not saving it, if it's even visible to it, you are not PCI compliant, you could get in trouble. Uh, we're dealing with that actually right now with the client. But yeah, actually, which leads me to bring up the um, experienced devs or devs that know about that. We're actually having a, a little bit of a difficult time finding experienced devs that are available, especially for bringing on new devs into the projects we have now. Um, I know this is not payment related, but no, just no, but in the atmosphere that exists today. And it seems like while devs are in super high demand, there's only a couple of places you can actually find decent devs to, to work remote. And other than maybe their lack of availability or their lack of experience, what other things are you finding that's kind of disqualifying some of the devs that, that we're seeing that we're offering these project jobs to that we, yeah, just, so we, just, we just can't use them? Or While you're hiring, hiring right now is just a nightmare. For um, everybody. For everybody. It has nothing to do with dev. It's everybody. I have a friend who runs a, uh, a rose company and he is, you know, he's hiring people who dig rose gardens and all of that. And yeah, hospitality and restaurant, hospitality yeah, and restaurants are also hurting very badly. 
it just doesn't matter what industry you are. Hiring is a nightmare. It, Lord, largely, we have like they've been feeling. My friends who have more of the you know manual labor in like restaurants and stuff, they've yeah. been having a problem forever. It's worse now, but they've always had this problem. We've kind of in in the development space generally have been okay. It's not been that hard. I mean, it's hard, but it's not stupid. Like right now, we're hiring several devs and we will get into conversations with them. We are chatting with them. We're getting them to do test projects and this, that, and the other to validate that they're awesome. And right in the middle of that, they'll be hired away from us, right right from underneath us. It's happened three times in the last couple of weeks, which is highly unusual. Um, And I think this is something we're used to dealing with on, on a certain level as an agency, but if you're trying to manage your own devs oh, or you're hiring your own devs I right can't now, no yeah. way. If you didn't have the experience or, or if you didn't know what to look for as far as just red flags or just common language with the developers, you know, knowing the technology you're talking about, knowing the requirements mm-hmm. for the project, I, I could see that being a nightmare. It's not like, you know, you, you'll see the ads and the YouTube videos for places like Fiverr and stuff like that, sure. where it's like, hey, you need you need a developer. The best there is, as cheap as they bucks. come. You know, here's a great success story. And hey, let's get all these YouTubers and influencers to run these, you know, 15 minute videos about them hiring people from Fiverr and everything being awesome. But in the real world, if you have no idea what you're looking for and you're going to Fiverr, you're you're never going to get what you want. So if you go to other places like Upwork, where there actually are experienced developers, you still need to be able to speak their language and you need to be able to identify maybe the red flags that you know wouldn't be so great for your project or you think they might be flaky you can't really tell or it could just be a communication issue where if they're on the other side of the world and you need you know communicating with a 12 to 16 hour difference is just ineffective i think the problem with i mean we use upwork i mean i'm not shy about that we absolutely use upwork to find contractors and stuff but if you don't know what, like, like you're saying, if you don't know what you're looking for, this isn't like hiring your receptionist or, or even a salesperson, you know, where it's about their personality and they're nice people and all of that. They have to have a skill set. And if you can't judge that skill set all by yourself, that's really tough. But what we're finding is there's a lot of that's, that's new. And I say new as in the last year, year and a half, two years. I don't think it has anything to do with the pandemic. It's just coincidence. Okay, so it's not pandemic driven. This isn't pandemic related at all. But what we found in the last year or so on Upwork in particular, but I'm sure this is true just about any um, any place you hire a contractor. There's a there's a new I don't know process that they that they they're doing. They know you want a U.S. developer. They know that they know that. Um, you as a U.S. business person don't want to deal with someone overseas. You're afraid of the language barriers, et cetera. And that's all valid. Um, but now, so you'll go and you'll say, oh, U.S. only. Okay. And you'll find a U.S. only guy. And that guy's a front. He might be in Arkansas or Alabama or New York or wherever, but his team is not. Okay. So he's almost time. like you're talking to the middleman between who's actually doing the work and then who is just giving yeah, you the you're giving the task hey, to a middle. You're in the US. If you yeah, so he's checking the box that I'm in the US, but his team is overseas. And that's fine. I don't mind if you want to work in that way, you can find success that way. I'm not saying that's not possible. Yeah, I can understand that that team can be efficient, but yeah, um, it can be also good. It can at work. face value it looks a little bit shady. As long as you're upfront about it, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, oh, okay. we run into guys and they're like, "Hey, 
I manage a team over in the Ukraine or India or Botswana. It doesn't really matter. I manage a team. I just want you to be upfront. We have guys saying that to us. And we're like, great. Thank you for telling me that. We are US only. So we're not going to work with you. But I appreciate your honesty because we'll have some people that we've gone all the way through. We put them vetted. We've done video calls and everything. Even test codes and stuff. Well, that's where it always falls apart. Because we're saying, hey, dude, let's write some code together. We're pair programming with them. And and they're like, uh, uh, and they start to really have a, they start not showing up to the meetings, et cetera. And then that's the flags. And it is necessary in, in today's world to do either pair coding or I wouldn't say test as in like a free work. You're not actually trying to get someone to, to pay them for the, free. the test. But yeah, if yeah. you give them a bug test or something and you pay them for their time. But I mean, that is a, an efficient way to weed out some of the other underdeveloped devs or, or devs that just don't have the experience, which as a business owner, if you're not hiring a team that can actually do that for you or vet these developers, if you're just going out on your own trying to do that, how in the world are you going to, you know, you've got to have a CTO. Your, yeah. The only way that works is you got a CTO. And, and if you do, that's magically delicious. That's awesome. You can and make that happen. CTO would actually have to find a way to, to vet yeah. these Yeah. And that's where we find a lot of people. It's like, oh, I'll go and hire a dude. And um, that'll be a, a topic that comes up over and over hiring a dude. A dude um, just means a single contractor for single a developer to do some work for you. Um, that is uh, right now our bread and butter is taking over projects from a dude. Um, and that it, it, it's just, it can work for a while, but eventually you run into a wall. But generally speaking, I'm hiring a dude. So I am a guy who's not technical. So I'm going to judge that dude or do that. Um, purely on the ability to converse with me and sound intelligent because that's the only tools I have in my bucket, right? right. I, I'm an intelligent business owner. They can so tell you, talk to you. They can also tell you what they've done in the past and you can go check on that, but you have no real proof. Well, sure. I can tell you I built amazon.com. How am I going <laughs> to prove that? I mean, especially if you're non-technical, right? I mean, if I'm a technical guy, I'm going to say, okay, prove it. Let me see your GitHub. Let me go. Well, and then the, then the other trick that they'll do is, well, I was under NDA, so I can't show you that code. Fair. Okay. You well, should honor your NDAs, but you got to have designer, something to show me. As yeah. a designer, I've had a lot of projects that were under NDA that I couldn't show people. And it's always embarrassing when they say like, oh, hey, what have you done lately? Do you have anything? And I'm like, I can't show you what I've done lately. So yeah. just trust me. <laughs> yeah. And, but if, if you're hiring yourself out, you need to have a, a portfolio of work that is open. Right. right. That's you've right. got to have something you can show me because I can't believe you. Oh, you built Amazon all by yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't show it to you. Oh, come on. You know, I mean, that's that's what you so find a lot of. When you were saying earlier that they were getting hired out from underneath you during like the vetting process. Yeah. What do you think the turnaround for like, do you think there's. Or let me ask this a different way. What are the options they're being given that are going to make them lean one direction or the other. Do you think right now there is enough demand that they're able to pick and choose between maybe least amount of work for highest amount of pay, least amount of time, highest amount of pay, easy to coast by? Or do you think there's still developers out there that kind of want to get involved with a team that might be in their line of what they want to do and present them with more work if they do a good job to where they're not looking for that single freelance job here and there where they might want to be, you know, quote unquote, a full-time contractor or at least a preferred contractor 
in a group that's going to keep feeding them work and help them level up their skills. What we're finding is it's getting more and more common. And I don't mean to trash younger millennials or what is the new one? Zoomers. My son is a Zoomer. What? Um, but I'm not trashing them as a generation or anything. But I will say that we are finding younger people, I uh, say under 30, who want to work as little as possible. That doesn't mean they're not hard workers. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is they have done the math in their budget to say all I need is 20 hours a week to work. And that's all I need to work to pay for everything I want, right? Right. And so they're going to work hard for those 20 hours. But if you say, hey, I need you for 30 or 40, they're not interested at all. And that's because this work-life balance to them is now everything. And, and again, I'm not against that. We hire guys and we know that the cap is 20 hours. But that is a difference. You find a some devs are just, gimme, gimme, gimme. I want 60 hours, load me up, let's go. Um, and those are great too. We love those people. But there's less and less of those. I find that, and there, there, of course, like the ones you're saying, there are some people who are just lazy and they want the most money for the least work. That's pretty rare, though. Most devs well, that we are talking to, they want to work hard. They want to challenge themselves. By definition, developers are problem solvers. And they get excited. They, they're, they're high, as it were, is solving problems and being challenged. This is how their brain works. And so those still exist. They're still out there. you got to find them because there's also, and this has always been true, but there's always the guy who just wants the paycheck. Yeah. But when, when you're working with an agency that already has a small team and they're hiring contracts, does the environment, the culture, and the enthusiasm of the existing team working with that contractor also seem to be a boost for them? In other no. words, do no, they? The reason why I say no is they're used to being lone wolves. So right. it's not that they're looking to, you know, have any kind of social interaction with other devs or, or leaders on that. Sometimes they do. Joining, they, just, they just want the job and in and out. I, I mean, I think that's, that can be either. We've hired guys who absolutely want to work with a group. Yeah. 100%. Um, and they... Uh, they are very upfront about that, but most contract, especially if you're hiring a contractor, you know, contractor is a guy or a gal who works alone and they kill it, drag it back to their cave and that's it, right? They're doing the whole thing. So they're not used to having a designer to make them assets. They're not used to having a tester. They're used to doing it all by themselves. So that is something we have to train and work on with our teams to say, Hey, you're with a group. Now we have testers, we have designers. You don't have to do this alone. And we and could actually make your life a little easier. Yeah, our job is to make it more easier. Because <laughs> if you you are a developer, you probably don't want to spend three hours cropping images. That that probably to you is like nails on a chalkboard. Right. When our designers just that's the that's a good day, right? I mean, it's we want to find people who do what they do extremely well, and every business owner wants this. It's just what that's something we find that if if you're a lone wolf, that we have to break that that. Um, that habit from you a little bit. And we tried it. We use Slack. We're purely remote. So we use Slack to have everyone communicate. But a lot of these guys never speak. And we have to pull them out of their shell as we start trusting them more and more. And we're thinking about hiring them full time. That's a big thing. Um, yeah. The whole remote managing a remote team, that's a gigantic topic that's been covered a trillion times by nine, and I'm sure we will nine billion blog articles and everything else. So yeah, I mean right. that's just something we can talk about forever. Not today, but right. we absolutely. I could talk about remote work and the challenge of running a remote team uh, all day, and we should talk about that in the future. Um, One more I did thing we should your... talk about today. 
Did you see I did the? I want to get your thing. The the Ray Bans. The glasses. Yeah. Take on it. Yes. The Facebook glasses. Okay. What so do now you think they don't the Facebook look, glasses. I think they don't look as Star Trek as the uh, what was it? The Google Glass when that came out. Oh, they're really were. trying to push for the designer style and the you know the aesthetic so it doesn't look like you're wearing spy glasses. But at the same yeah. time, you're still just wearing spy glasses, man. Did so now as far as the tech goes inside. What the, the tech saw, is there. there was, hold on one second. So The Verge, which is one of my favorite podcasts, they have they have a, a ratio that they've been perfecting. I think I'm going to say this wrong, I think, but it's the Dilho ratio. <laughs> or is it the douchebag ratio? It's, it's something like that. Yeah. So basically it's how douchey, how douchey or how, how bad do you look with said technology versus how functional it is. It's like well, this one to one ratio. I love it. Pardon the term, but when the Google Glass came out, anybody using them were referred to as glass holes. Yeah, the, well, and for good reason. Um, yeah, but yeah, you're right. So it, it's kind of an extenuate uh, extenuation of, or that's the wrong word. I just butchered that. But it is a continuation of that concept. So to me, on that ratio, these Facebook glasses are awesome. Yeah, right? they they look they look good. They look like. You know, the classic Ray-Ban Wayfarers, which are, again, as classic as blue jeans, leather jackets, mm -hmm. you know, red cars, whatever. But now you've got are a all camera. American, you know, terminologies, but still, it's... Well, so so just for those who've never seen or heard, read an article about this, these are basically Ray-Ban glasses with a little camera in them, and you can you record can control them to your phone. Yeah, to your phone. There's even, I guess, a tactic button they're putting on the glasses, like how airpods work mm -hmm. or yeah you can slide air Bluetooth. Your... yeah you you can either tap press or slide your finger to to start these functions now the cameras are very tiny the quality i guess is a five megapixel per camera is what i saw which I is be... oh, fine yeah but um the videos i saw it looks like the aspect ratio is not landscape or portrait it's just square which is strange, but Which to me, very the, strange. the specifics don't matter. To me, it's still the, is the world ready to have cameras staring at you all the time? They kind of already are, <laughs> but this well, is they, giving people the ability to have the, a camera staring at you all the time and post it wherever they want. But right now, if I go into a schmoozer, a network schmoozer or a business meeting or whatever, I still believe that the expectation is that my privacy is intact that if i'm someone's got a phone up it's very clear they're recording me but that's right. a very obvious yeah. thing now you don't have at least right now the, the 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 people aren't thinking i might be that guy staring at me right now might be recording me yeah if, if they're 40 feet away and you can't like there's no red light on the camera or anything they so have a little white tell. light on that little spectacle there the is a white light, light though i mean it's super first, subtle yeah I just don't think we're there as a as a culture, and I mean this worldwide, not even U.S. Worldwide, I don't think we're ready to have cameras in your face all the time. That would be my my hunch. Would I think it's not so much the cameras in your face. Like for the younger generation, they probably like between being on their phones and recording everything, and just the whole camera and social thing with TikTok and Snapchat and everything. I think that's not going to be as big of a problem until they start seeing things posted from other people where they had no idea they were even in this video. Like the privacy thing is going to be when it's posted, not when it's recorded. I mean, the next thing that 
the, the holy grail of this is I walk into a room and AR and a heads uh, up augmented, display. Yeah. Yeah. And it starts augmented. putting a display of everyone's. I know this is Gary and he works at Big Pixel and he has daughters and he's married for X. I mean, this is coming, right? Yeah. Does Any information you put out there for your profile is going to be fed into these glasses so that that is an Iron Man type me, heads up display. That's pretty cool. I'm, I'm no, I don't want that at all. I, I want to be. I'm the old curmudgeon who no. I mean, I love the idea of it. It's very Star Trekky, but yeah, minority. That role. is the ultimate privacy invasion. I mean, holy cow! You walk into a room and everyone knows your name, your background. Yeah, your and you know the only life. reason this is ever built it's it's not for what they're telling you that it's built for. It's it's so they can sell ads to you right in your eyeball during the day, like Minority Report. You walk by a certain <laughs> section in the neighborhood and it's a, all of a sudden, boom, vanilla chai yeah. latte in your face on sale right there. Just Ooh. take it right. It's right there. Gary, we know you want it based on your history of buying coffee. No, I do think it's cool. I, I will say I, I think the last statement I will make on this, or at least for this week, is if it was any company but Facebook, I might be more interested. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how Facebook is going to launch this without a gigantic amount of pushback for privacy concerns, especially with what just happened the last year and a half where they've proven themselves to be lying about what they quote unquote check and double check for whether it's factual information or harmful information. I mean, it's pretty much just been found out already that anything they say they're double checking and trying to alleviate as harmful information, like they're just not because they're seeing it increases I guess what's the, well, yeah, but a post that has disinformation targeted to the right group of users generates six times the amount of engagement as factual information. Sure, sure. So it's not in their best interest to stop that stuff. I think Facebook has proven that they could care less about privacy. Exactly. So something like this. Let's, let's give you an anti-privacy pair of, you know, video recording glasses launched right. by the most anti-privacy, you know, company on the planet. And hey, all smiles, Zuckerberg's happy. Yeah, it's going to be good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you know, in time, even if it's just a camera, they're going to be scanning everything and they're going to be knowing, oh, this all guy yeah. buys, uh, you know, Coca-Colas. And so we're going to make sure that next time he's on Facebook, he's got a Coca-Cola ad. Now the, I saw that in your glasses. That's the glasses common. connect to your phone. Right now, it's it creates a Wi-Fi connection to them. I guess Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, but all that information, just recording from the video to your phone, is all going through the Facebook Hub. It's not just loading yeah. into your, you know, whatever gonna, default photos or video app is. No, and you don't know what they're doing with it after that. That's the kicker. I mean, maybe that the the glasses themselves right now cannot analyze what you're looking at, but that video is being saved on your phone, which is being sent to Facebook's servers. And then the truth is you have no idea what happens after that. I mean, good, bad, or ugly. You don't yeah. know what that's doing. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting tech. I am, I have, I mean, uh, was it Snapchat did it originally the spectacles and those got blowback. Um, the, uh, but the Facebook, I think, this thing's dead in the water because it's Facebook. That's just my opinion. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. I think on that note, it's time to wrap this guy up. Um, hopefully uh, you guys got some information, useful information out of us rambling for the last half hour. Um, what are you talking about? You're else? a wealth of knowledge. Well, <laughs> a wealth of something. We got so uh, much. If there's any topics you guys want us to uh, cover in the future, let us know. 
um, and we will try to cover them. Um, but in the meantime, we will get out of your hair and we will see you next time. Thanks so much. And this is the BizDev Podcast by Big Pixel. No. Oh, or is it from Big Pixel? I don't know. Got I right. don't know yet. <laughs> All right. See y'all. Later.